Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So pleased to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got an interesting item indeed. If you'll take a look over here, I've taken the liberty of setting this up on the counter. It is a wooden marionette. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, this is just an old marionette. It is quite old, very antique. Dates back to the late 1800s. 1883, I believe, is probably uh, a close guesstimate as to the specific age of this piece. But the curious thing you'll find about this uh, wooden marionette is that it has no strings. And if you watch closely... Even avert your eyes, but pay attention to what's going on in the periphery. You may actually see this marionette move. And therein lies the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Netflix film, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. So, like many who are fans of horror and fantasy, and even to some degree science fiction, we all love Guillermo del Toro. And when I found out he was doing an animated adaptation of Pinocchio, I thought, okay, this is going to be kind of cool. And then when I found out he was doing a stop-motion animation of Pinocchio, I was even more intrigued and more excited about this. Now, usually this isn't the normal fare we talk about. I mean, it's not horror. It is a fantasy, but uh, most of the things we don't talk about, most of the things we talk about on this podcast are, are geared more towards adults. And, and Pinocchio, I mean, we know the Disney Pinocchio, and it seems like a, a children's story. But if you look back at the original Adventures of Pinocchio, written by Carlo Collodi back in 1883, uh, you'll find it's some bizarre and messy up stuff <laughs> and uh not i mean it is a children's tale uh it is an allegory for the pitfalls of of what can lead children astray but it's dark much like a, a lot of uh, morality tales for children back in the day grim fairy tales were some dark works <laughs> if you read the original uh the original text so well, this is kind of a story that's traditionally geared towards children. I think it's also something that not only children can learn something from, but can, adults can enjoy as well. Because like I said, it goes to some dark places. And Guillermo del Toro in particular takes this story that already goes into some dark places and takes it even a little step further by some of the aspects of this story that he has added to the tale. Now, I'm not going to go into any great detail about the workings of this story. We're going to talk about some of the things that Guillermo del Toro did a, a little bit different. Uh, we're not going to go beat by beat and plot by plot. We're going to talk about the characters and, and their place in the story. We're going to talk about uh, the setting of this story because it, it leans a little different than what uh, the original Pinocchio story uh, and even how the whole Pinocchio 
Pinocchio character comes about. Uh, the difference between the original text, even the Disney adaptation, and, and this adaptation, all of them have varying degrees of difference. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit, but I don't want to give too much away because this is the time of year that is the holiday season, and we really get some interesting and, and good movies that come out around this time of year. So that's why I was uh, so pleased to see Guillermo del Toro uh, putting out uh, a full-length feature at this time of year, even if it is just on Netflix. I mean, this could have been a theatrical release. I mean, it was that quality. But I get the the idea of releasing it on Netflix uh, because there you have a, a captive audience and a large audience, which is why my Netflix always runs crappy the first day somebody releases a, a huge movie or TV series. can never get anything connected on Netflix. Netflix, you need to expand your capacity for viewership because right now it, it's, a, it's abysmal to try and watch anything. Uh, the first day something is released but at any rate so we're going to talk about uh, Pinocchio we're going to try to not be too spoilery but there are going to be some spoilers so if you want to go watch Pinocchio go check that on Netflix uh, it's not terribly long it's just under two hours about uh, 117 minutes so it, it's not terribly long and and I think you're going to enjoy it and then come back and then we'll we'll talk about it you can uh, see if if what I'm talking about and what I think jives with it what you think, and like I said, going to be some spoilers, so uh, if you don't want anything spoiled, go check it out first and then come back. So the basic premise of this version of Pinocchio, which differs greatly from the original story, of course the original story was back, I think it was published back in 1883, but this is set in war-torn Italy. Uh, we start out in uh, the era, I believe it was World War One. We meet Geppetto and his young son Carlo, uh, I believe probably appropriately named after Carlo Collati, the uh, the author of the original Pinocchio story, but they are uh, working on a crucifix, a, a big statue of Jesus on the cross for the church in town when an aerial bombardment uh, from Austrian forces inadvertently bombs the town. Uh, they even talk about how the fact, and we got a lot of exposition because this whole story is narrated by the the cricket, uh, Sebastian J. Cricket, which we'll get into that character a little later. But uh, it wasn't even that they were bombing the town. It was that they were trying to get back to base and they needed to lighten their loads. So they just dropped all of their bombs and one inadvertently hits this church and, and kills uh, Geppetto's son Carlo and we find the next uh, several decades uh, of Geppetto just wallowing in sorrow uh, of losing his son until one day he he cuts down a tree that grew from a, a pine cone that his son had planted and he cuts down a tree and makes a wooden marionette to which the fairy with the turquoise hair brings to life. Now, this varies greatly from the, the Disney adaptation of Pinocchio and varies greatly from the original Pinocchio. In the original Pinocchio stories, Geppetto comes across a carpenter named Mr. Antonio who has a block of wood that is able to talk. Geppetto gets this block of wood from Mr. Antonio and carves the block of wood into a boy named Pinocchio. Now, the one thing that Disney really 
toned down in their adaptation that Guillermo del Toro really focused on and that was really uh, apparent in the original text of The Adventures of Pinocchio is that Pinocchio is a little shit. Uh, just constantly into mischief and constantly not doing what he's told and constantly being a little asshole. <laughs> so <laughs> I think Guillermo del Toro really captured that in, in his adaptation. But I do want to talk about that, and that really sets up where we're at in this story. And I think Guillermo del Toro's idea to set this in, which when we, we find Pinocchio being made, we're getting more into World War II. Uh, we've advanced that far in the timeline uh, from World War I, where, where Carlo is dead, to World War II era Italy, where Geppetto is, is creating this marionette in a drunken stupor to try and bring his son back or, or create some sort of surrogate for his son. And then we get the wood sprite or the uh, fairy with the turquoise hair in the book uh, having pity on Geppetto. So we're going to talk about some of the characters in this story now that we've really kind of laid the foundation of, of where this story is at and, and how this story begins. And like I said, we really are introduced to vocally to the talking cricket character. Uh, Sebastian J. Cricket in this uh, adaptation. Of course, we all know Jiminy Cricket from the Disney adaptation of Pinocchio, but Ewan McGregor plays Sebastian J. Cricket and uh, a different a different take on the, the talking cricket in the Pinocchio stories, uh, The Adventures of Pinocchio. It is just called The Talking Cricket and serves a, a very similar role in the story that we see in Guillermo del Toro's. He's there, uh, I don't know as if in the actual stories, if he was ever charged with teaching Pinocchio right from wrong, but, uh, but he is in this. In the Disney, it's more of he's supposed to be Pinocchio's conscience. Uh, but in this, he's charged with, with making... Uh, Pinocchio understand right and wrong, teaching him how to be a good person. And if he does this, if he succeeds in this, uh, if he turns Pinocchio into a good quote unquote boy, then he is going to be granted one wish by the, by the fairy with the turquoise hair. And of course, in this adaptation, he is an author and we see him uh, right off the bat working on his memoirs about where he's been throughout the world and all he wants to do is be published. So uh, it, it's really kind of set up right away that if he fulfills this, this task that is charged on him, uh, he is going to wish to be published to be a famous author. But I really like Ewan McGregor's portrayal of this character. He brought a lot of life and a lot of charisma to the to the cricket character even though the character isn't as big uh it doesn't have as big a role in this it, i don't even think it really has as big a role in the original story as the jiminy cricket character does in the disney adaptation but he acts as kind of the the narrator of all this he is there to tell us that sebastian j cricket character is there to tell us uh you know bits of exposition that uh, we can't get uh, naturally within the use of dialogue and it works when you have a character acting as narrator for the story so i didn't mind the bits of exposition that we got with this character and i think ewan mcgregor did an excellent job with the with the voice because like i said this character really wasn't as integral to the story as the jiminy cricket 
version of this character in the Disney adaptation. Uh, he's more along for the ride in this. And there's only a few scenes that we really get where he's trying to get Pinocchio to do the right thing and, and generally doesn't succeed for the most part. The other character we're introduced to right away is the Geppetto character. Pinocchio's uh, father, heartbroken Italian woodcarver, uh, grieving his deceased son, Carlo, played by David Bradley. And if you know David Bradley's work, you know what a fantastic actor he is. Uh, of course, he's been in so many things. Uh, Game of Thrones as Walter Frey. He was in the Guillermo del Toro uh, TV series, The Strain, which I really liked. Just so many different uh, movies and, and TV series he's been a part of. And a fantastic actor. He plays the grumpy old man probably better than most. Uh, I won't say better than anyone, but better than most. And and I really loved David Bradley in this because you really got the sense that uh, you, you got the grieving, you got the self-loathing and the despair of losing his son. But before that, you even you get the the father that that has this little son that just loves him to death because the wife is no longer in the picture. I can't remember if they say exactly how she died, but she's passed on uh, prior to this this story. And you get the sense that this is his world. This child, Carlo, is his world. And, and you feel that love. And then you feel that loss when it is taken away. And then when he has this uh, wooden doll that he's carved come to life and the resentment of this creature trying to take the place of his dear son. But then as he warms up to it, uh, it's just a, a wonderful ride. And David Bradley, who, like I said, is probably more known for the grumpy old man character, really plays a great range of emotion in his portrayal of Geppetto, which I, I really loved. Uh, I was wondering how it was going to be with him as Geppetto. It exceeded any of my expectations. The other main actor that we get in this this stop motion animations uh, movie is the Pinocchio character voiced by a young actor named Gregory Mann, who I, I'm not, you're not very terribly familiar with him, although the name sounded familiar. I, I think there's an older actor with a, a very similar name, or maybe I'm conflating two different people, but, uh, but he hasn't done a ton. I believe this is the first like major feature film that he has been a part of. And he voiced Pinocchio. He also voiced Geppetto's son, Carlo. So that was a very interesting choice to make from Guillermo del Toro, that uh, the voice of Carlo is also the voice of Pinocchio. And, and it almost makes you wonder about you know reincarnation or the, the fairy with the turquoise hair. Uh, is this Carlo's spirit that's put in Pinocchio? Or, or you know, it's nothing that's ever really talked about or even delved into but it makes you wonder what the reason was behind that choice but i really liked uh gregory mann's portrayal of pinocchio he did a really good job with the voice acting in this because uh like i said the character of pinocchio both in the original stories and in this movie is a little shithead 
just constantly doing what he's not supposed to do. And, and it's not done maliciously for the most part. It's done out of that wide-eyed wonderment of a child that has been brought to life and is experiencing the world for the first time and just wants to, to touch everything and to know what everything is and to, to do everything. And Gregory Mann really played that quite well. He played that wide-eyed wonderment of a child because he is a child, of course, but to do it in the way that he did, it was just very animated. And I don't know what he's like as far as live action acting. I know he's done some of that a couple things uh, prior to this, but I'm really excited to see him in more things because he just, from the vocal performance he gave in this, quite an amazing little actor uh, for, for a young man like him. So I really dug that. I, I liked the range of emotion that he had to. I mean, he had to do a range of emotion that uh, I think is beyond his years. Not only that wide-eyed wonderment of a child, but he had to play, uh, you know, the, the disappointment. He had to play the remorse. He had to play uh, all these different emotions that, I mean, that's some of that's heavy baggage for adult actors to carry and, and to, to really span that range. But but I thought he did quite well, and he was super sweet and innocent as the Carlo character. He was mischievous and precocious as the Pinocchio character, and, and you got all that just in his voice, and that to me is a triumph right there. So I, I really, if I was wearing a hat right now, I'd be tipping it to the young actor Gregory Mann in uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Then after that, it is just like a cavalcade of celebrity voices throughout this but uh I, I have to tell you there were some of them that i was like oh who was that I, I know that voice and then once you figure it out it's it's almost kind of a fun little game to enjoy while you're while you're watching this but uh, burn gorman plays the priest which uh I, I love him he he's such a good actor just kind of plays a, a very stoic stern character i loved his uh, role in watcher on Netflix, but uh, he plays the priest. Ron Perlman plays Podesta. He's the kind of the town official. He's a part of the fascist regime and kind of plays into some things that we have going on with Pinocchio later, but he is the father of the Candlewick character, which is uh, an actual character. I believe he was called something else. I want to say he was Lampwick in the Disney version, but Candlewick is a character in the original Pinocchio stories, uh, just plays a lot different than this. We'll, we'll just say that. But Ron Perlman, as the uh, Podesta character, was really good. You know, he plays a, a stern, tough guy quite well. John Turturro is Il Dottore, I believe. I, I'm probably screwing that up. Uh, I haven't boned up on my Italian, but uh, he plays the uh, village doctor, Finn Wolfhard plays the Candlewick character. He's kind of the, uh, he's another one. He is a little shithead and he doesn't like Pinocchio. He's a little jealous of Pinocchio, trying to get Pinocchio in trouble. Not to the degree that you see in the, I believe, the original story or the Disney story. And, and there's an interesting camaraderie that is built between these two characters in some of the later scenes between Pinocchio and Candlewick. It was, uh, it was an interesting aspect of this movie that you didn't get in the Disney version or the uh, original stories. 
Another one of the star actors to, to make an appearance is Kate Blanchett, but you you probably wouldn't know unless you read an article about this beforehand or looked at the cast list beforehand. Uh, Spazatura is a monkey in the Count of Volpe's kind of cabaret, sideshow, traveling carnival and all she makes are kind of like monkey sounds and it's it, it's so funny that they got such a huge star with such an iconic voice i mean kate blanchett is uh you know she she has a very distinctive voice but to have her the, playing this monkey where she's just essentially making vocalizations i think is uh, one it's hilarious to me but two it's just uh part of the brilliance of guillermo del toro speaking of count volpe uh christoph waltz uh, plays the count volpe character and the Count Volpe and the Spazatura characters kind of are a replacement for the fox and the cat uh, which is a big part I mean these are two big antagonists in the original uh, Pinocchio stories uh, so you get Volpe means fox in in Italian and the Count Volpe character kind of has these two big shocks of hair that go up to a point on each side of his head if you've seen any of the trailers you've probably noticed this character it looks very fox-like so this is kind of the stand-in for the fox and the cat character and there's a scene later that we'll kind of touch on when we talk about some of the some of the things that were similar and some of the things that are quite different uh, from the original text to this movie but uh, Christoph Waltz uh, plays this uh, this character so well I, it's one of those voices that you're sitting there listening to him and they're like why do I know this voice uh, why do I know who this is and then once you find out it's, it's quite enjoyable Tilda Swinton plays the wood sprite the fairy with the turquoise hair I don't think they ever call it by that in this movie but in the original text uh, it's known as the fairy with the turquoise hair but she is the one that brings uh, Pinocchio to life and and she has that you know kind of a voice uh, much like Kate Blanchett uh, which I actually thought that's who Kate Blanchett was going to be playing but uh, Tilda Swinton uh, she just has that very uh, calm voice that it, very motherly very nurturing quality to her voice when she plays a character like this that brings you in and then kind of almost swaddles you and rocks you to sleep she does a good job with that there's also another character she plays uh which is essentially a another version of the wood sprite but uh but opposite plays the wood sprite sister but she plays death and they deal a lot with that in this movie. And Death is not not necessarily a bad character. And it's a very similar delivery, but not. it's a very comforting voice, which is an interesting play on Death that we see a lot lately. But it's not as nurturing as the, the wood sprite voice that uh, Tilda Swinton uses in that. And then Tom Kenny plays a, a, a bunch of different voices in this. Tim Blake Nelson plays the black rabbits, the flock of rabbits that uh, are in these scenes with, with death. So just a, a cavalcade, a, a parade of top quality actors in their own right. Some great character actors, some great lead actors, but you have you know all the main characters, all the B characters in this voiced by fantastic actors. But one of the main themes of this, other than death, because death plays a huge role in this, especially at the beginning, especially at the end, and even 
in varying degrees because Pinocchio dies several times in this. Uh, but because he's a wooden boy uh, with the borrowed soul, as the wood sprite says, you get this scene or these scenes where he goes into the the other world, the, the afterlife, whatever. And each time he dies, he has to stay a little bit longer. But as the hourglass runs out, he goes back into his body. And that was a really interesting aspect of this. I don't believe anything close to that is in the original story, but I thought it was really lent itself to, like I said, the overarching theme of death, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Another interesting aspect of this is not even so much Pinocchio's inability to keep his nose clean. Uh, they do play off the his nose grows when he lies. They do play off the fact that he's just constantly getting into trouble, constantly doing things he's not supposed to, constantly doing things that he's been told not to do or, or, or not doing things he's been told to do. They play a lot into that. But one of the other big themes is Pinocchio being pulled in multiple different directions. He has the Count Volpe character wanting him to become a part of his show so he can make him money you've got the ron perlman character podesta who is trying to conscript him into the military he's going to be an immortal soldier for the the fascist uh, regime in in italian government and we see how Pinocchio is in both of these environments and the fact that, uh, you know, he still wants to do his own thing. And, and I think that's another thing other than death being a main focus of this story. I think one of the other uh, things is the fact that uh, being who you are is is a main thing because in the original Pinocchio story and in the Disney adaptation of this, uh, the whole idea of Pinocchio is for him to become a real boy and they never really focus on that in this being a real boy is just making good decisions and and being good uh not being quote-unquote real and just being yourself but being the best of yourself being the best version of yourself I think is is more of a a theme in this than you get in the original story and in the Disney adaptation. But you see a lot of the Count Volpe character, the Podesta character, how they're both trying to use Pinocchio for their own interest. Uh, one being gold, the other being war. And, and Jesus, that is a, if that's not a commentary on on society today, you either have you know people constantly trying to make money uh, at the at the cost of anyone, uh, trying to make war at the cost of anyone, and you've got Pinocchio. And I think that's kind of where you really start to empathize with this character, uh, because like I said uh, from the get go, Pinocchio is a little shit in this movie. And you really don't, he's not very likable at the beginning of him. And you understand why Geppetto is a grump and doesn't want to accept him as his, as his child. But you get to see Pinocchio growing and maturing to some degree uh, as the movie progresses. You get to see Geppetto and his affection for this, this wooden doll that uh, he's kind of treated as an outsider but eventually slowly starts to have an affection for this for this doll but some of the things i really liked that really harkened back to the original text is 
the one, the fact that they burnt Pinocchio's legs off. I don't think they did that in the Disney adaptation. It's been a long time since I've watched it. But uh, but in the original book, Pinocchio's wet and cold while Geppetto's in jail and he sleeps by the fire and wakes up and his legs are burnt off. In this, Candlewick kind of tricks Pinocchio into warming his feet by the fire a little too close and he burns his legs off and Geppetto has to replace the legs. I thought that was kind of a, a nice touch, a nice hearkening back to the original stories. And and I like that the dogfish in the Disney adaptation, we get a big whale. But in this, we get the dogfish uh, character, which uh, it's the, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. But I did like the fact that they called it by, I don't think they called it that in the Disney adaptation. But like I said, it's been so long since I've watched that. I could be wrong on that. But I did like that aspect of it. Another thing that I thought, it, it was dark. Uh, dark AF, as the kids say these days. But uh, there was a scene in this that was kind of a surrogate for another scene. In the original text, the fox and the cat are, like I said, big antagonists in the original Pinocchio stories. Not big antagonists, but they're uh, antagonists in, in multiple stories throughout this this adventure of Pinocchio. But in the, the original stories, they disguise themselves as bandits and essentially hang Pinocchio, uh, hang him from a tree. And uh, Pinocchio, I don't think he dies, or at least comes close to death. Uh, it's it's a whole thing. Go go read it for yourself. But I like how they kind of alluded to that story when towards the end, uh, I believe it's before all the dogfish stuff. You have Count Volpe and Spazzatura, and they essentially crucify Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> They've got him on this cross hanging there. Uh, they're going to light him on fire. And it's, I think it was even darker than the whole scene in the original text where they hang Pinocchio. But but I, I like that sort of stuff. I like that connective material where uh, we're taking a very similar scene. We're ratcheting up the WTF factor and it made it dark. I mean, that's like I said, there are some dark things in this story. And that scene was one of them. So I, I really like that. It was not exactly a direct link to the story, but very much inspired by the events of the story. And, and to me, that's similar enough that some of the things I really enjoyed about that. So all in all, I really love this. And like I said, uh, there really is a book and uh, theme of death in this because you start off with the death of Carlo and and Geppetto's grief for him and then when all is right with the world and Pinocchio and Geppetto are back together we we find out that you know the realization that Pinocchio he doesn't turn into a real boy he's a wooden doll that is going to live maybe forever uh, but we see as time passes and Geppetto gets older, and Geppetto dies, and Sebastian J. Cricket dies, and Pinocchio is left alone. But instead of wallowing in his own grief, which, and I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions about anybody who grieves over the loss. I, I grieve loss of of people uh, that I love, of things that I loved uh, daily, uh, and I'm not saying that. But he. Unlike Geppetto, who let death and grief take him over to the point where he was just, uh, he, he was useless. He, 
he was a shell of a man. Uh, Pinocchio grieved and then went on to explore the world. And I, I like that message. I, I like the fact that, you know, death doesn't have to have a hold on you because you can grieve. You can grieve the loss of people and things that you love. But at some point you have to, you have to not let go and not move on, but you have to force that grief to release its grasp on you so you can keep living. And and I thought that was a, a really interesting message. It was sad. Jesus, God almighty. Uh, the, the movie was sad at the beginning. There was a lot of things I watched this past weekend that just were really sad, really sad beginnings. Uh, and this was one of them. Uh, my wife and I commented on that, that uh, this, we watched another movie. Uh, she'd never seen the Christmas Chronicles with uh, Kurt Russell. And that had a sad beginning with the father dying. Uh, I watched that Klaus movie uh, on the, the animated Christmas special on Netflix that has a sad ending and just my God, there's a lot of, a lot of sadness, a lot of talk of death this past weekend in the, the Baker household. But, but I thought this was a good message. And while it was sad, it did have kind of that, uh, not uplifting message at the end, but uh, like I said, Pinocchio grieved. He had lost so much. He lost his whole world, Geppetto and Sebastian J. Cricket, uh, the two people that were closest to him. And it's not that he wasn't allowed to grieve. He grieved, and then he went on to live his life and carried them in his heart, so to speak, uh, as, a, as a part of him for the rest of his days. And that's a great message. I, I like that. So if you get a chance to check out Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, I really enjoyed it. The animation was just fantastic. You know, back when I was growing up, uh, when a lot of us were growing up, 60s, 70s, and 80s, stop motion animation was the was the cool thing. You know, all the best Christmas specials are those Rankin-Bass uh, stop motion animation specials. And it's kind of a lost art these days. Stop motion animation, though, I think uh, maybe making a comeback. I, I like the Phil Tippett uh, Mad God that he did. All stop motion animation took 30 years to do it. Uh, weird as fuck, but a marvel to watch. And and this was just as good, if not better. I mean, Jesus, this was uh, fantastic work as far as stop motion animation goes. There were some points throughout this movie where I stopped realizing that it was stop motion and just got immersed in the world. It, it never felt like little dolls being moved frame by frame. It just, uh, at some point, it just becomes what it is and becomes alive and becomes its own thing and then then when you kind of stop and think oh yeah this is little dolls being moved uh centimeter by centimeter frame by frame uh to make this magic happen it's just it's it's awe-inspiring and they did a fantastic job if Guillermo del Toro doesn't win awards for animation with this uh if the animation department doesn't win awards for this for the animation then I have no faith in the the award system at all uh not that i have much to begin with but we'll see but i encourage everyone if you get a chance to check out gambito toro's pinocchio on netflix yes it is something that the kids are going to enjoy it is 
have a lot to do with death. So if you haven't talked to your kids about death, you may want to talk to them beforehand or make sure they have a grasp on this. It's going to be sad, but it's going to be an amazing adventure. It does have some darkness. There's some creepy imagery. The uh, wood sprite or the fairy with the turquoise hair is weird. These little ghostly apparition eyeball tentacle things floating through the forest is creepy and weird but it's all a part of the fantasy of this whole thing and they just do a fantastic job with that so it's a movie you can sit down and watch with your kids if they're old enough and they're ready to tackle big picture philosophical things but uh, adults are going to be able to enjoy this as well, especially adults that that know the original Pinocchio and want to see something a little more uh, akin to, uh, you know, their predilection towards horror, fantasy, and sci-fi as an adult. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this as well. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, check out more on our Facebook page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We're always posting trailers and articles we find all over the internet. I add my two cents. Uh, be looking for some of our upcoming shows. We've got our Christmas special coming up on Monday's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop here on the podcast. So be looking for that and more as we round out 2022 in the upcoming weeks. But want to thank everyone for listening. Whatever podcast platform you're listening on, please share it, subscribe to it, like it, all that good stuff, especially share it. Share it with anyone you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction because that helps us uh, to get the word out about this podcast and build our numbers up. Also, leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave, when you leave a good review, uh, that helps the algorithms that dictate whether these uh, podcast platforms uh, promote our podcast or not. So please leave a five-star review if you have the opportunity and and whatever re review you leave, we do appreciate that. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.